Close the Curtain podcast is an audio platform created to educate, entertain, and inspire women to live their best lives while they close the curtain on things that no longer serve them. We bond over wine or the drink of your choice while sharing many laughs, loves, and sometimes even tears. While this show features our opinions, it should not take the place of you seeking professional healthcare advice. Please buckle up and enjoy the show. I fly United, I fly first class. I make them close that curtain because I don't like all that suffering going back and close. It's so hot, we can't breathe. Please close the curtain, I can't take it. I only have one of them great. I can't help them all, please. Please, please close the curtain. Yeah, I'm for sure, for certain. Some topics be making us way too uncomfortable. Queasy stomachs hurting. We do not deal with negative energy, vibes, and negative person. Tell the story, this hurry up urgent. I needed to close the curtain. I'm Shalana. Don't let the sweet voice and the stethoscope fool you. Because I can tell it like it I is. Hey y'all, I'm Caroline, a Midwestern girl with a Southern flair. I will open and bless your heart in the same breath. After turning 30, there's two places I strongly belong. In a bed and in a book. Sometimes both. Nalita. I fly at night and I fly first class. Close that curtain because I don't like all that suffering go back and close. Hello, hello. Welcome to Close the Curtain Podcast. We are opening up the floor real quick with some hot topics. So, first on the docket, I know that you guys have probably heard about this black therapist who was on TikTok and originally she was sharing some information about the type of clients that she sees, which are 90% of them, she says, are black men. And just the way that she was talking had people up in an uproar. So the viral video captured her urging men of color to expand their emotional vocabulary and to actually seek therapy. But the words and the tones had some men and women going after her job. So just a little snippet. She said, y'all think bees just be talking in y'all ear just to be effing talking? We don't. Y'all think bees just want to argue with y'all because y'all refuse to expand your emotional vocabulary? We don't. It's to provide clarity for both us and y'all dusty bees. She also went on to say, don't you want to be able to communicate with your bee? When you expand your emotional vocabulary, you expand your awareness of yourself. When you expand your emotional vocabulary, you understand how you can navigate in this B. This effing weird A world that is so hard on y'all, like let's acknowledge that the world is very difficult for y'all, but y'all are not making it any easier, bruh. She said, go to therapy. Talk about that S that's on your chest. 
y'all are doing a disservice to y'all self. And she went on and on really trying to encourage black men to seek therapy, but she received a lot of backlash. One user said, this is such a dangerous pop culture articulation of black male mental health issues actually pathologizing and speaking down to patients that are struggling to find words for trauma is not best practice in any literature I have read. This shaming tactic is why many Black men don't pursue therapy. On the other side, someone said, you might not have liked her delivery and she ain't got to call women bees, but I don't know how y'all skewed this to say she complaining about Black male clients. She's clearly telling Black men to go the F to therapy and stop holding SEN when the world is already so hard on you. So, of course, after this post went viral, people found her real name, went after her job, reported her. She lost her job. And I just want to follow that up just by saying that she did come back later in lots of different videos. Because this isn't the first time that she's had videos talking about the type of therapy that she offers. But it is one of the more inflammatory, I guess, posts that she's released after having 260,000 followers. And in her following, in the following days after she lost her job, she's just kind of talking about, you didn't just ruin, you know, my job for myself but I've worked with men for two three four five years and you know I have clients that are going through cancer and this and this and that and I really have built up a therapeutic rapport with them so you didn't just f me you f'd over these clients so what do y'all think about all of that that was a lot I follow her on TikTok actually like before all of this transpired because I love like, I love her delivery. It's so brutally honest. But I think that in that specific TikTok where she was addressing Black men, I feel like the delivery was a bit harsh. And so I kind of agree with the person on Twitter who was saying that when you try to speak down to, you know, Black men about pursuing therapy, you're kind of scaring them away from it because it's almost like counterproductive. So I kind of agree with him on that. But nevertheless, y'all were real out of line for calling this woman's job and getting her fired. Like that was unnecessary. You can disagree with what a person says because, you know, everyone has a right to free speech and everyone has a right to their opinion. But this wasn't one of those times where you should have come for a Black woman's job because in the end, regardless of her delivery, her only intent has been to help Black men. And if you had to call her job and tell on her, you're probably one of the ones she was talking about who needs therapy anyway. But I'm a chill. I'm a chill. You know, it was a lot of actually Black women <laughs> who were doing the dragging and putting her in the, the news articles yeah, and calling like, her job. Like you said, earlier, it, it's the tone and it's the attitude and it's the body language that people were most likely offended by, I feel, because the message was pretty clear, but it was lost and all of that. So, you know, just listening to her, I immediately stopped focusing in on what she was really trying to say. And I was really tuned in to the curse words and how she was being derogatory, you know, to, about the men and how she was calling women bees and how, you know, I, I just, 
I don't know. I was taken back by it. Now I do agree that, you know, why are we still calling people's job and getting them fired in 2022? I don't understand that, but, <laughs> but I just feel like I see the message, but it was lost in everything she was saying. And we have talked about how sometimes, just like you said, Shalana, the message, it does not get carried across the way that you would like it to be just because of the delivery. And I just think like, since she is viral, she has been posting for quite some time. I'm just so curious as to, is this, since Caroline, you said you kind of follow her, is this the worst type of material you've ever seen, I guess? publicized no she kept the same energy that she does in all of her videos it's just that this one triggered people a little bit more I guess but she's always been very brutally honest very vulgar very like I'm gonna clap my hands and roll my neck so you can like yes. understand <laughs> how I over exaggerate this point her her content has always been like that and that's yeah. one of the things I like about her but I just think that in this particular message, if she was like addressing black men and trauma and going to therapy, it yeah. And the other thing is like her content, it's not gonna be for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's triggering because she's talking about a sensitive topic. Yeah. And so when you talk about sensitive topics, you gotta go about it in a caring manner. Like you can't curse people out and tell them they need help at the same time because yeah again your message is lost <laughs> exactly. nobody's hearing the fact that therapy is important that black men and black women in our community have been through so much and we need to seek therapy nobody's hearing that because you're, you're busy calling us bees you, you're busy calling men dusty you know so we're <laughs> so we're more focusing on that <laughs> Dusty, broke, busted, and disgusted. disgusted. (laughs) But I will say though, like most of her other content is very like surface level shade. So you know when she's going on these rants or when she's like cussing and carrying on in her videos, it's very like you're dodging all the red flags. But then you come to my office talking about why he ain't no good. Or, you know, like stuff like that. Like, you know, sis, he stood you up three times, but you still let him take you out on a first date, you know? So it's, it's usually very like blanketed statements, very surface level advice. Right. But this one just hit a little bit different, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I still follow her. So. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that, you know, she probably actually has lots of gems to offer I just wish that and I mean this is just the society that we live in people are always gonna subscribe to cancel culture and when you ain't saying something in the right way it's not gonna be heard so I just feel like as a therapist I'm pretty sure like she ain't talking to the men like this inside of their therapy like she's a professional so although TikTok sometimes feels like your bedroom like what we're doing here on this podcast with your girls you also have to realize that some of the people that you're talking to could perhaps in the future be your clientele and I don't know how many how many flies you winning over by talking to them like that talking about flies 
Renaissance has been out for a month now, and we want to know what is your favorite song now? Has it changed after listening to this album over and over? Has it changed? I'm still vibing to Alien Superstar. I'm sorry. I love that song. I don't know why. <laughs> I knew you were going to say I that. I don't know why. I just feel like I want to Vogue or would do something <laughs> whenever I listen to it <laughs> or walk down a runway or something. Yes. <laughs> yes. It, it's good. First of all, I'm still listening to this album every single day. And <laughs> I don't know what else has come out between Renaissance and Nap. This is all I'm listening to. I'm still stuck on Church Girl and Thick. Thick just, mm. it's my jam. That is my jam. But Church Girl, like, I just, I love the beat. I love how she switched, like, in the very beginning, how it, like, started to sound very just wholesome and spiritual until that beat dropped. Right. And then she was like, it must be the cash because it ain't your face. <laughs> And she said it twice, so you know she meant business. Uh, <laughs> and everybody thought she was talking about Jay Z. They always don't think that you throwing shade. <laughs> what I didn't realize, and I just realized this recently, listening to it on um, Church Girl. I don't know how many times I done listened to it now, but I heard the sample, of course, you know, at the beginning. But then I hear it sometimes throughout the rest of the song that I didn't notice it was playing underline. And I have heard, I have not done any research, so don't whoop me. But I heard that Twinkie gave her the okay. She okay. This sample, anyway. Oh. Because I thought she was giving us some Khalees energy for a while. I don't think it was Twinkie. I think it was people in Twinkie's camp, like her nephew, who kind of produces her mm. music or something like that. And I don't know if it was Twinkie per se that gave her the okay. I think it was Twinkie's sister, Dorinda Clark Cole, who said, y'all leave Beyonce alone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, so that's really. not an okay. I don't know what is. Right. <laughs> well, your own sister got to tell you, uh-huh. calm down. It, it be your own folk. <laughs> and you know it. Yeah, I'm still stuck on cuff it and plastic off the sofa. And one ratchet thing my friend just said recently was when your grandma had that plastic on the sofa, what that meant. <laughs> you better not eat in this living room. <laughs> no, don't even breathe too heavy. And, and please don't take a nap because if you do, you're gonna be stuck. Stuck to that plastic. That's not what Twitter's saying. I'm gonna have to mark this explicit talking about <laughs> it's a reason your grandma got all them kids and that plastic on their sofa was because she was a squirter <laughs> oh that is not the vision i needed for my grandmother me, Melita. Me thank you <laughs> me either and i'm pretty sure that's not why the plastic was on the sofa <laughs> <laughs> you hope it wasn't anyway your uh, legs were yes. stuck to that sofa a couple yes, of times <laughs> i did it taking it now and being stuck to the plastic <laughs> That's why she always cook in the cup of that smell. Uh, <laughs> not the smell. Mm-hmm. Not smelling like. <laughs> I be fighting for my seat in heaven every day. For every day, huh? Somebody every day. Say, I know that guy has a sense of humor because when I look at y'all. <laughs> oh, gosh. 
speaking about plastic on sofa, Usher says that his has not worn out yet because he is now deemed the king of R&B. He was recently on Sirius XM with Radio Andy, catching up with the television personality, Belle Smith. Shout out to Belle. And she said, you know that people call you the king of R&B? And from our conversation right now, I feel like you are ready to really own that title and ascend to that throne. Are you willing to accept that? And he was doing this and doing that, talking about, I mean, you call me that, I definitely carry it. I'm going to tilt my crown knowing that I'm standing on the shoulders of all the icons of our time. It's Michael, it's James Brown, it's Ronald Isley, Luther Vandross, Barry White, Teddy Pendergrass, plus, 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 lots of different people that he said have influenced his music. And he said, I'm carrying them with me and I'm ready to own it. What do y'all say about the 43 year old who is one of the best-selling artists of all time has sold over a hundred million total records worldwide and has been on the nine billboard hot 100 hits only to be the second male r&b singer to achieve that with stevie wonder being the first i think usher is a awesome artist like he's very talented i love his voice I love his music. I've seen him in concert twice and I will go to see him every time he comes down here. But I don't know if we can say he's the king of R&B because there's already a king of R&B. So I've never known us to take the crown off somebody else and put it on somebody else. It's kind of like Michael Jackson was the king of pop. Aretha Franklin was the queen of soul. So... Mm -hmm. I don't think if anyone else comes behind these people that we will rename them that. So we're going to just let them be the princess and the paupers. I guess so. <laughs> the peasant, the peasant the peasant. So who's the king of R&B? I was the on Bobby her Brown say. is. Bobby Brown that. is the king of R&B. I can 100% see that. Mm. But paying to see Usher in concert, paying to see Bobby Brown in concert you know where I'm going exactly but I will say this is that I don't think any other artist that is still active and doing things right now can top Usher I don't think any of these artists have what Usher has I'm just Bobby saying Brown showed down. he barely remembers at this time but I don't I don't think that we can take the crown off of them and put it on somebody else we've never done that before puffing on that stage because <laughs> mm. back then he earned the title you know so <sighs> what is it Gladys Knight is the empress of soul or something like that and Gladys <laughs> Knight is not doing anything I see what we doing now oh. So we're going to have to name <laughs> Usher the Yarl of R&B. <laughs> not the Empress. <laughs> I think that is her title. Hold on, let me look it up. I think she is the Empress of Soul. Duke Earl. I mean, I did not know that we was. Yeah, it's Gladys Knight. I mean, mm -hmm. we, he could be the Duke of R&B. <laughs> Like Bridgerton, mm -hmm. right? He can be like, what's his name? Jean Page, reggae Jean Page. Yes. Usher can be like him, Duke he of R&B. He can be the Duke. You're right. 
I just didn't know that we was going down the, <laughs> the royal titles like that. The other reason why I'm still right for Bobby Brown is because Bobby Brown in his prime versus Usher in Usher's prime. Bobby Brown, I think, was still dance, or maybe not dance circles, but he would sing circles around Usher. I really don't know if I would say that either. Then why is he the king of R&B? Because Usher she was not said. around on that, during that time. <laughs> so is it, time to, he, is it time for Bobby Brown to retire that crown and pass it on to somebody else? That's the thing. I don't think that is protocol. I, I don't think that we can do that. <laughs> we'll discuss this at the next been, cookout council meeting. It's because we need an auntie or auntie over us to be able to tell us what to do. The one with the joker. flab on her arm. Yeah, not any old auntie. We need the auntie with the flab on her arm who's authorized to make the right, mac and cheese. Right. She has to settle this. Yeah, because my question would be like if someone came along, like let's just say Jennifer Hudson, you know, really became as big as Aretha Franklin, would we rename her the Queen of Soul? Absolutely not. Okay, so I think this is the same concept. Mm, It is, but Bobby Brown ain't skating around Las Vegas right now. (laughs) (laughs) He sure is done renewed it until July of 2023. (laughs) And I watched that little video with them little shoes on and he was, he was skating night and you saw him. Watch this. These are my confessions. (laughs) watch this watch this i'm torn because y'all know i love me some bobby brown well i mean we not saying he's gotta relinquish his crown i'm not gonna say one way or the other i would not go to see bobby brown today but i would have when he was a little younger like new edition and stuff like that on the other hand i do still plan to go and see usher at some time (laughs) so (laughs) king he may not be but he still has made a great impact to r&b no one can take that from him we just saying we don't know where he fall in the royal hierarchy right now but get back to us next week and maybe we'll have found a decision our last little icebreaker, which we done already told this ice up, and this right here just gonna make us plummet through it. But I just want to send my condolences to the family that Risa Kingney in Atlanta has destroyed with her wild actions. And not only was she wilding out in Atlanta, well, I guess she actually filed a lawsuit against her former employers after she had murdered them so if you guys don't know just a week ago a snippy linkedin post calling a deceased victim her laziest manager and a federal lawsuit may point to a motive after risa kingney allegedly killed two men and shot another in midtown atlanta on last monday the Shade Room reported that police arrested this lady at Atlanta's Hartsfield-Jackson Airport after she went on an alleged shooting spree at the condos. And after the intense search, they revealed her on the surveillance video fleeing the scene. And then the local police had to track her down and arrest her. But 
on the LinkedIn post, she says, I was severely retaliated against and constructively discharged, which means she was fired. My home was broken into. My life and my family lives were threatened. Furthermore, BDO, USA employees and partners leveraged their relationship with people living in my condominium in order to pursue the retaliation at my home. And then she goes on to say, no one is above the law. And I think that she does not realize that what she said is gonna backfire against her because she ain't above the law after she's committed this egregious crime. I just don't know if this lawsuit is gonna go through before she gets her sentence for committing these murders. Did you guys hear about this? And what a crazy affair. It was it was all over the news here. Like I remember last week when that area of the city was on lockdown because there was a quote unquote active shooter at the moment. And you know, in my head, I was like, I know this ain't us. But once I saw who they arrested at the airport on the international side, because she was trying to flee the country, I was quite surprised. But in my head, I was saying this was not a random act of violence. Like, I bet you she knew these people. And sure enough, as stuff started coming out, one was like her former boss. And I think another was like a colleague or something or somebody who worked in her, you know, residential building and stuff like that. And then it all started making sense. So this lawsuit that she filed, I think, Nalita, I think it was older when she filed this lawsuit, because she was also talking about how she faced retaliation for trying to speak up about like some wrongdoings at work. But she, in her head, thought that people were like breaking into her condo building, but it was like an inside job because there was no sign of forced entry. But she could tell when she got home that somebody had been in her apartment and rustled through some stuff. She said she's noticed that her mail had gone missing from time to time. So she was clearly like either super paranoid or like she knew something was going on related to her lawsuit or related to, you know, some of the complaints or grievances that she had raised at her former job. So I don't, it's such a sad situation all around, especially for the victims. I think that this was someone who was extremely paranoid someone who was not taken seriously when you know she tried to do the right thing allegedly and this was the result of I don't want to say effing around and finding out but when someone is pushed to their breaking point like you never know what they'll be capable of and unfortunately I think that that is where she got was just straight to her breaking point because she was very very clear on who her victims would be this was not a random shooting like she knew who the target was and it went straight to the airport to try to get away so like she knew what she was doing but this was so so unfortunate yeah this is something that you'll see on id network and i'm mm-hmm. sure it would probably end up on id network i'm pretty sure but it just goes to show you as we were talking about earlier mental health is so important in this country but it is so overlooked and it's undervalued and clearly I feel like this woman yeah she had a vendetta out but I feel like she also had anger issues and undiagnosed mental health problems had to have and she also owned a gun 
which is mm-hmm. another problem that we have in this country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was reading an article before, you know, we all got together and it was saying that the legal complaint that she filed earlier this year mentions like retaliation, persecution, harassment, intimidation, threats, burglary, computer hacking, and other attacks just from the complaint that she filed. So like, I get the paranoia, assuming all of this is true. Again, assuming all this is true, I get the paranoia, but like you said, Shalana, there's definitely some undiagnosed or some unresolved mental health challenges there too that would bring somebody to that point. Yeah, to just kill somebody. And like, why not just leave the job and hire a lawyer to have the company sued or investigated? That, I mean, that sounds like the logical thing to do. If you feel like all of this is going on. Yes. Well, allegedly in the complaint she filed, she allegedly named her lawyers as part of the people who did all this to her when she was trying to take legal action like earlier this year. Like she had named like some neighbors, her former employer, and even her lawyer in the original complaint. So Mm -mm. I think that might be why she was trying to represent herself in court when she was up for her bond hearing a couple days ago. So my thing is, what lawyer wouldn't want to take something like this seriously if they saw some merit in it? One who's getting paid off. You Well, that's true, too. It is true. That's true, too. But I don't know if I can believe she was really going through all of this. Bad enough to to kill two people, and now she's in jail. And Mm -hmm. if it's true over something that someone did to her, now she's Mm going to be behind bars. Mm -hmm. yep she said in this legal document that she faced retaliation persecution harassment intimidation threats burglary computer hacking and an audit that her employer disregarded she's suing the west management team members west board members in the fulton county superior court for withholding her mail including mail from georgia powell you know you gotta have them lights on and My thing is, why is everybody trying to do this to her? Like, is she the CSI? Does she have secret intelligent stuff that maybe we'll find out on first 48 season 16? But it just sounds very bizarre to me, is what I'm saying. It seemed like she worked as like an auditor or somebody who's in like compliance or something like that. So it was like her job to raise red flags in the workplace but it seems like that didn't work out in her favor I don't know I feel like a lot more of her story is going to come out goes on once it goes to trial because it's a lot it's a whole lot but I think her side of the story is going to come out a lot more through the trial while people just paint her to be like a serial killer and I don't think that's what's really going on yeah yeah I think there's some mental health challenges I think so I think I think that it can be but you already know that two things can be true at the same time Mm -hmm. but we don't know well we'll keep an eye out well one thing is true we about to cork or tell some stories and we got some good ones for y'all today So this portion of our episode is called Make a Toast or Put a Cork in It, where we chat about things that are happening in the news and decide if we're going to celebrate and make a toast or if we're going to put a cork in it because it's a no for us. 
But before we get started, I always want to know, what are y'all drinking tonight? So I went out and on my way to the store to find something good, I found these <laughs> jello shots. And I just want to report that, first of all, I think they got too much alcohol in them for one little shot, but they ain't that, they're great. Like I've had some homemade jello shots that seem like they got me lit and they were good. And these are just not, so I don't recommend shotties, peach mango, or I had like a strawberry lemonade one. Don't go out and get those. But also I have a little, uh-huh, you recognize this Shalana? <laughs> Girl, <laughs> I found this in the store as well. The Choco Vine Pleasantly yes. Sinful Chocolate and Raspberry. So I'm going to try that out. I already took a little swig, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. I'll let y'all it's know. good, but I will tell you, it's a little strong. It's it is. It sure is. And I already done had these little shots that was... <laughs> 12.5 so I don't really need to have a lot so I'm gonna pull me a sip are you gonna drink out the bottle like Shalana did well, I know she was like <laughs> sis had a long day <laughs> we've all been there we have all been there oh, well tonight I'm just drinking some peach ice black tea chilled earlier I had pre-gamed a little bit I had some apple orchid cider so it's kind of like a beer but it has an apple cider taste to it and so I thought that I would just give my liver a break and I'll just drink some tea but tonight I still have a little bit of a buzz I thought she was gonna say peach crown <laughs> I was about I to need say to yes. get some of that though I need some and it's I think so this good. would be the perfect chaser this tea Mm -hmm. or just none at all (laughs) I am in true millennial form I am drinking a white claw lemon flavor it's all we had in the refrigerator judge and mama so our first story Biggie's daughter Biggie Smalls like Biggie's daughter breaks the bank bailing out her boyfriend oh the late notorious B.I.G.'s daughter Tiana Wallace posted a one million dollar bail for her longtime partner Tyshawn Baldwin. Fox News reports that Baldwin was arrested after being involved in a hit and run accident that injured three people including a mother and her baby. So earlier this month Baldwin allegedly allegedly fled from police and hit a group of pedestrians crossing the street in Queens during a routine traffic stop. He surrendered six days later. Now, during his first appearance in court, Baldwin, who's 28, was ordered held on $1 million bond. However, his girlfriend, Tiana, bailed him out. The 29-year-old put up her $1.5 million Brooklyn home to secure his bond and he was arraigned at on a 17 count complaint with a list of crimes, including reckless endangerment, unlawful fleeing of a police officer, endangering the welfare of a child, obstructing government administration, assault, and other vehicle related offenses. 17 counts, y'all. If convicted, he faces up to 25 years in prison. Now, some are criticizing Tiana for you know reaching into big bank to take little bank or like to bail little bank out like that's a lot of money for a whole lot of charges but this is her longtime partner you know ride or die you know queen and slim type love 
would y'all that's my only question would y'all absolutely not y'all wouldn't no 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 not not even for love first of all i would have to cork her right had no business putting up her whole house (laughs) to bail him out you know i could understand if he was innocent if he was wrongly convicted and he did not do this but clearly he did so he made the choice to drive with a suspended license he made the choice to run from the police right he made the choice to hit the bystanders and i feel like he deserves to pay for his own consequences and it's not fair that she has to put up her livelihood, probably all from her father's estate, to bail him out of prison. So, you know, and don't get me wrong, like, I'm all for supporting somebody who you're with or whatnot. But I feel like in this case, she needed to find another way to support him. Like, I'm not putting up my whole house. I will do a GoFundMe for you. But I am not putting up my whole house, especially if this is all I have and this is my livelihood. No. And especially if you made those bad choices that got you in there in the first place. And then I feel like this might be the type of guy that once he gets out of prison, he is probably going to go right back because he's going to continue to get into trouble. And something tells me that he's been in trouble with the law before, because why are you running from the police? Why is your license suspended? So, I mean, I wouldn't have done it. Girl, I'm going to disregard this man just like he disregarded that mama that he hit so hard she flew into a parked car. Like, that is absolutely insane. Not only did he hit the mama and the baby, who was a two-year-old in a stroller, he also hit this 35-year-old man that... Thankfully, the mom and the child say they were treated for minor injuries, but the man has suffered more severe damage to his leg. So who knows what's going to happen? And I didn't see him showing any remorse. It say he surrendered himself, but this after that was calm in the streets and he was going to eventually be found. So he is definitely going to court and it wasn't even up for discussion if he was going to, but she going to get a court because they say her Brooklyn home, so maybe she has other homes on the docket, but long-term boyfriend, he ain't got no ring on his finger. She needs to get up like, who was that Taraji? She ain't claiming nobody unless they got that ring. She needs to stop <laughs> claiming it, man. Sometimes you have to let people learn they listen. And like you say, sometimes people do make mistakes and then they actually learn from it, but I don't think that that's going to be the case with Baldwin. He might surprise us, but I wouldn't be finding out by putting my home up as collateral. This might be an F around and find out situation. Caroline always telling us about. Baby, these are some rich people problems, number A. Because I don't know if I'm more baffled by the amount or baffled by the fact that she did this because like if it was a hundred thousand and you got to pay 10 percent to get your dude out of jail i mean it's just until the hearing anyway like you know he going to jail this is just to bring him home until the trial starts so 
I mean, I would be inclined to bail out my husband, but like her net worth is $20 million. So I'm sure like putting up her house wouldn't be an issue to bail him out of jail. Cause I know she has like a couple of businesses and she does a lot like with her father's foundation. So she's not hurting for money, but for a boy, I, I don't know. Y'all. Yeah. I, she had, she's worth $20 million, but she's out of a 1. billion something home now that she had. I'm, I'm, I get it, but this is a rich people problem that I just cannot reach. (laughs) I just can't reach it. When she could have sold that house and got her one point some billion dollars to put in her pocket. Now, like I said, I don't see anything wrong with bailing him out if he was wrongly accused or wrongly convicted and didn't do anything but he chose to get in that car on a suspended license and then when the police tried to pull him over he made them chase him and then he hit and injured three different people now had he would have stopped when the police tried to pull him over initially his bail probably wouldn't have been that much I mean, this is the kind of stuff that would have been going through my head when I was faced with that decision whether I was going to put up my house or let him stay in there. Maybe I'm thinking this way because I ain't married and I ain't got no man, but (laughs) I'm just saying, like, it's craziness. And I feel like he is the type that will get into even more trouble and then she'll always be bailing him out. I I don't know. If it was my husband, I can't say I wouldn't do it. I'll just be honest. I I can't say that I wouldn't. But again, these are rich people. First of all, can I put up my apartment? Like just my (laughs) unit? Uh, (laughs) Is it being renovated? (laughs) Like (laughs) we got, you know, pest control and maintenance that come out. If they get locked up, can I put up my apartment (laughs) with collateral? Because for 17 counts, baby, that money under the mattress ain't going to be enough. I got enough bail money for one charge, not 17. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I guess I'll cork her with y'all. I'm just go with the crowd. I'm a cork her with y'all because I'm a bit torn. <laughs> now, our next story, I there ain't no torn on this one. I know where I stand. A mom books her son a paternity vacation one week after his girlfriend's due date. And yes, y'all heard that right. A pregnant woman is upset at her mother-in-law after the grandma-to-be booked a vacation for her son just a week after the child's birth. So the mother-to-be posted on Reddit under the MI and A-hole thread while she was, you know, sharing her hurt and it got over 18,000 votes. And this is what she said in the post. I'm 37 weeks pregnant now, and my boyfriend took three weeks off of work to stay with me so that we can adjust to being parents to a newborn. This is my first, and I'm very nervous and really need the support right now. Well, my boyfriend's mother took it upon herself to schedule a paternity vacation for my boyfriend for the last two weeks of his leave. She came over to dinner and surprised him with it. It's an all-expense-paid vacation to Italy for my boyfriend as his paternity present. She gave me a jade stone bracelet and a matching newborn one for the baby as it's part of their culture to give the family stone to the mother and child 
once they enter the family. So like that was kind of her. However, I told her that his leave was for helping with the baby. She was taken aback and said that he would be fine with me for a week and a week was long enough. The mother, like her husband never even stayed at the hospital with her when her son was born. So she wasn't really checking for (laughs) her son's responsibility as a father to be. So I told her and my boyfriend that I didn't want him to go and that she should have asked before buying such an extraordinary gift. The mother left in tears because I was quote unquote ungrateful and ruining her son's experience. My boyfriend pretty much agrees that he should go for at least a week because she paid for it, but I really wanted him to stay with me and bond with our daughter. Am I the a-hole? What say y'all? I definitely say this mother-in-law is a butt. This daddy boyfriend took off three weeks for helping with the baby. Now, what he could have done, I guess, is went that first week before the baby was born, maybe. But now that this baby is here, you finna <laughs> you finna go two weeks away. That's the most important time when you actually need help. If her body done got ripped open from episiotomies and all this nonsense, not ripped open, ripped open <laughs> from your big head baby, and you finna go fly. This mama probably got him first class tickets to wherever they was going, France, Italy, and he finna ride over there in comfort, enjoy himself, and then come back. And he gonna have the audacity to say he should at least go one week since she done spent this money anyway. Who I just I just don't understand. Now, on the flip side, I can say my ratchet husband, <laughs> after my day was born, now to, to be fair, he did not have any idea that Leilani was going to be born early, but she was, she was an emergency. And so his boss had already spent this money for them to go to Rome, Italy. So guess what? Oh, we're in the same boat. His boss paid for him. He was in his master's program to go over and do a research and he left. He went and had a good time too, but my mama stepped up and she helped me navigate through breastfeeding and pumping and all these different things that your body got to bounce back after having a baby. So I guess if the mother-in-law was going to come over and take over these husbandly duties or boyfriend duties, then okay, but pack your bag because you staying over here. So when this baby cry, we're going to take turns changing this diaper whatever comes with it since you're sending your son on a paternity vacation while we get a matching bracelet (laughs) Mm -mm. i I was i was trying to find a toast to give because i feel like sometimes i do more corking on this show than i do toasting so i was trying to find a toast to give this mom and also because i'm a sucker for self-care and soft living but <laughs> I think the mother-in-law was so out of pocket for this one. And I think she deserves not only several courts, but the whole bottle thrown at her for this. Because this was so ratchet of her. I just feel like for her to tell the mom-to-be that she only needs a week, that was just selfish and wrong just because she was able to bounce back after a week does not necessarily mean that that will happen with her. And this is her first baby. And also 
in labor and delivery, we always hope for the best outcome, but anything can happen during that whole process. Like what if something happened to her during labor and she had to stay in the hospital longer than expected? Or what if something happened and the baby was born and then was admitted to the neonatal ICU after delivery and had to stay in the ICU for a few weeks after? Like anything could happen and he needs to be around for that. And for the mom to kind of step in and say, oh, you know, you don't need but a week was very selfish of her. And I don't understand why she is dibbling dabbling in the relationship. If she was going to buy a trip, she should have bought a trip for both of them when they were able to go so she need to have several seats in a rocking chair i have never heard of a paternity gift like what what have you done what have you done to earn a gift like please tell me what have you done because like i've heard of women getting a push gift i've heard of taking baby moons you know a little vacation before the baby arrives a paternity trip what what have you done what did you carry for nine months so that was the first thing I thought that was just very I won't say weird because maybe it's a cultural thing but that was my first time hearing about a paternity vacation I don't think the mother-to-be was an a-hole at all I think she was well within her right to be upset and demand that he stay home however she updated users later on, like the people in that Reddit thread. She came back and said that her partner has not been back since they mentioned the trip. And she doubts that he'll change his mind and not go. So him still going. And he is real ratchet for that too. Mm-hmm. And it makes you wonder if he didn't go to his mom and complain about things that was going on during the pregnancy. Like I can only imagine, oh, she's always grouchy. She always has an attitude and I always have to go out at late at night and get ice cream and do all of this stuff. And that's probably what made her buy the trip in the first place. Mm-hmm. I believe it. <laughs> I believe that. Yeah. She mother like it's a cork for me. I'm going to take that whole chocolate wine bottle that Nalita got and throw it at her. Okay. All hearts and minds on one accord. Now, this comes from one of my favorite songs of all time. Jigga, I don't like it if it don't gleam clean and the hell with the price because money ain't a thing. Moneybag Joe announced up to $20,000 in student loan forgiveness. So if you've been living under a rock or justifiably not paying attention to social media, Moneybag Joe announced that he'll be canceling $10,000 in student loan debt. While some praise the action under the premise that something is better than nothing, others criticize the amount because it just simply is not enough, especially for Black women. For example, Nina Turner had this to say on Twitter, canceling $10,000 in student debt when the average white borrower is $12,000 in debt while Black women hold on average $52,000 in debt, it's not just unacceptable, it's structural racism. Now, according to Bling Bling Biden, borrowers who make less than $125,000 annually will receive $10,000 in student loan forgiveness. 
Pell Grant recipients will also receive an additional amount of forgiveness if they qualify as well. Now, we've also seen that student loans have been canceled for other borrowers already this year from schools who are like either no longer in operation like DeVry or ITT Tech or Le Cordon Bleu, for example, or schools that have just lost their accreditation, which makes sense. I shouldn't have to pay back loans to a school that's not even in operation anymore. Where's the money even going? So I get that. But for this most recent move in student loan forgiveness, are we toasting this or is this not enough and money back Joe needs to try again and come correct? You mentioned something that Nina Turner said, but I read somebody who responded to that tweet and it made a lot of sense to me. The person responded to her tweet by saying it's double for Pell recipients, which you just said, like if a family received a Pell grant, they got an extra $10,000 in addition to the other $10,000 for the federal student loan, which totaled $20,000. So the person said it's double for Pell recipients, which Black applicants receive at double the frequency of any other race. He literally targeted helping Black students more and one of the best ways he could without saying uh, we're forgiving more debt for Black students, which would have received quite the backlash. So I kind of agree with the person who responded back because with the Pell recipients are more, most likely for families who, or students that come from families who make a less amount of money, who have hardship and things like that. And so if you do the research, most of the people who do receive Pell grants are students of African-American students or other students of color. So I, I think that he's doing us a favor and I feel like he's doing better than what most presidents have ever done because student loans is a big issue that we have in this country. Student loans is getting in the way of people getting houses. It is getting in the way of people getting certain jobs because if you're not paying on your student loans and your credit is bad, sometimes that can prevent you from getting a job that you want. So I really think that this is a really big move and I, I'm toasting to it all day. It's a move in the right direction, I should say, um, mm -hmm. because I don't think that he would have been able to get 100% loan forgiveness passed through the House in the Senate. Yeah, mm -hmm. There's no possible way he could have done that. And at least he was mm -hmm. able to get something, something. And even yet and still, you see the backlash that's coming from that, not, mm -hmm. not just from people who are trying to, I guess, point out the issue that Black women, Black people, people of color are going to have more loans than any other borrower. Not more loans, but the total amount of their loans will probably be more than just a person that's not of color. But I do think it's a step in the right direction. So I am going to toast the move toward the student loan forgiveness. At the same time, even though he's done this, he has simultaneously also <laughs> allowed these pauses in student loans so that you can either be paying towards your principal if you would like to or to give you a reprieve to catch up on other things that have lapsed 
in the light of dealing with the pandemic and other breakouts and the economy issues and all of these other things that people are dealing with trying to get their lives back on track and you just didn't really need to be trying to think about how you're gonna make that next payment on your student loans also the public service loan forgiveness program was extended through I think until September the 1st I want to say so just make sure that if you have not went ahead and applied for the public service loan forgiveness program that you look into that because it covers a lot more than what you would probably expect it to and all you have to do is make 120 qualifying payments so if you're already being forgiven this 10,000 or maybe even the 20,000 then that in addition would lower what you have to pay back and then your 120 payments may be over before you know it, or the at least the cost of them would not be as much of a burden. So I am going to toast the act and hope that something else may come of it. But if it doesn't, I know that he was trying. Yeah. Listen, I already forgave my student loans myself. <laughs> so whatever happened come January when it's time to pay them back whatever happened come January that's between Moneybag Joe and King Jesus the real king because I already forgave my student mom but I agree with y'all I think this is a, another step in the right direction I think it would have been very difficult like you said to get a student loan forgiveness just completely wiped out because also a lot of this falls into the hands of the Department of Education and it's not necessarily like Joe Biden's it's not necessarily like within his realm of power to make that executive decision. Like this really is heavily influenced by the Department of Education. But all that to say, he's already done a lot of work to forgive student loans in other areas. And I think that all of these baby steps will start to show open substantial. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like to really open the door for more forgiveness, more people being eligible, mm -hmm. maybe higher amounts and things like that. But I think I read somewhere where this will like help up to like 20 million borrowers. Yeah, I was on the Education Data Initiative website today and I read that 95% of borrowers have federal loan debt. And according to the same source, half of students who borrow still owe up to 20,000 within 20 years after they graduate school. So even if you mm -hmm. were a student and you've been paying every month and, and committed to payment by 20 years, you still owing at least $20,000. This is half of student borrowers. So I'm thinking this is where he is getting the 10 to $20,000 figure from. So, mm -hmm. you know, although this is not enough to cover my loans in its entirety, because I've been, you know, I'm a professional student. I've been in school almost all my life. So the <laughs> things, <laughs> it, it accrues, but it will definitely be enough to help other people. And like I said earlier, student loan debt is a really big problem in this country and it can really get in the way of really being able to live your life to the fullest. So again, I think that this is a great start. And I don't honestly think he would have been able to get 100% of the loans forgiven for everyone. So you got to start small baby steps. Yeah, exactly. I mean, fortunately, I'm in that number who owes less than 10,000. So 
this will be huge for me. But when you think about people who are still paying into their student loans, like my student loan payment was almost $400 a month. It was like $380 or some change or something like that. Wiping away $10,000 of my student loan debt saves me almost two and a half years of student loan payments, like just shaves off about two and a half years of student loan payments on top of the last two and a half years through this pandemic where I didn't have to pay anything on my student loans either. So, you know, just kind of knowing that I can go four years without, in theory, like four years without having to pay on my student loans, that's huge. Like the dollar amount sometimes sounds minuscule in comparison to people who owe like hundreds of thousands of dollars, but to the average American who's coming out of like four or $500 a month on a student loan payment, that's huge. That's why we call them money bag Joe. But speaking of college, <laughs> speaking of college, who said segregation was a bad idea? Not these students at UC Berkeley. So there's a private co-op for UC Berkeley students that bans white guests from common spaces. Again, a subreddit for the UC Berkeley community and the surrounding city of Berkeley, California, recently created some buzz over the last couple of weeks. There's a set of house rules seemingly created by the members of a private housing co-op located off campus of UC Berkeley, basically banning all white guests from common spaces. Among other things, the quote-unquote person of color-themed house, tenants demand respect from all guests. So I'm just going to read some of the house rules. The guest limit per house member is five guests. They must always wear a mask in common spaces. Please be mindful that if there are any house members in the room beforehand, white guests are not allowed in common spaces. Do not leave guests alone in the common spaces to avoid house members assuming that it's a stranger and alerting like this house chat that they have. It's like a group chat for the people in the house. Avoid bringing parents or family members that express bigotry. Queer, Black, and Indigenous members should not have to avoid common spaces because of homophobic or racist parents and or family members. Be conscious of the amount of noise of you and your guests are making in common spaces or in your room. Our house walls are very thin and we have quiet hours from 10 p.m. to 9 a.m. during the week and 1 a.m. to 10 a.m. on the weekends. Always announce your guests in the guest chat if they will be in common spaces with you and let us know if they're white. Now, <laughs> this aims to provide housing to low-income first-generation, immigrant, and marginalized students of color. But hundreds of comments from Reddit users really criticize the rules for being racist, while others agree but note their unlawful nature. Now, the rules of the house speak to the tenants' shared and individual experiences of racism, especially regarding the house. One UC Berkeley student explained in depth about the house's long history of internal discrimination and neglect from the students, and also noted that the house has also failed to uphold their pillar of anti-oppression and allyship over the years. It became notorious for a reputation of anti-Blackness, of holding white supremacy by ignoring the various forms of oppression perpetuated by former house members. So while the members choose to live in a 
person of color house, they cannot avoid every racist experience, but we do do our absolute best to give people who live here a safe space to process their experiences and feel supported in their own living environment. Now, these house rules are quite out there, very specific in, you know, letting the group chat know if your guests are white and, and making sure that you don't bring over, you know, anyone that expresses bigotry toward any protected classes. How do y'all feel about these safe space house rules? Is this like a reverse racism or is this just really us writing for the culture? Whose children are these? This is all, this is what I want to know. Whose kids? <laughs> Oh my gosh. Not whose kids. That's all I want to know, whose kids. <laughs> I mean, I remember living on campus and having to deal with some microaggressions and, you know, a little bit of racism. Like, I remember one girl told me that because I speak so well, I'm not a minority minority. I'm just a minority. So some of the stereotypes that we were discussing in my sociology class wouldn't apply to me. Because again, I'm not a minority minority. I'm just a minority, right? So like, I, I get needing a safe space to just decompress from all that foolishness. I can't tell you the number of times somebody asked me what sport I played because my school is predominantly white. Things like that. And, you know, we've seen on campuses where there has been a lot more overt racism happening too, like putting nooses you know, in different parts of campus and things like that. So I think it is important to create a safe space for people of color. And I am never opposed to making sure that your racist family members, cousins, uncles, and friends don't come into my home. So I'm kind of here for this, actually. I, I'm i not going to like toast it. I'm just going to like raise my glass a little bit to myself and just take a swig. <laughs> This, to me, this seems like it would be something you will see on that Netflix show. I don't know if y'all have ever watched that sitcom before. I think it's on, I think it's still on Netflix and it was produced mm -hmm. by, what is his name? Spike Lee. Oh, Spike Lee. Yes. It was produced, it was produced by Spike, Spike Lee. <laughs> but this really reminds me of, of that show like you would see something like this on that show and I'm not gonna even lie like when I was reading it I thought this was so hilarious but I honestly cannot get with it and sadly I'm gonna have to court these students for this <laughs> yep that's very on brand <laughs> I, I I can't understand wanting to avoid people of other races who do not represent the race well as a whole like the Karens of the race and those who likely stormed the nation's capital on January 6th last year. But mm -hmm. to generalize a whole race and say that they are not welcome as guests is taking a step backward in a society where we are trying to move forward and make things better as it pertains to unity and inclusivity. So I don't know if this is a really good move and it's illegal, I'm sure. <laughs> so I don't know it's if people I that really live in there. Faith court, court, I mean, toast. Yeah. <laughs> Not in good faith. We ain't asking about good faith. We asked about your honest opinion. <laughs> right. And I give my honest opinion in good faith. <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, they didn't like just like blacks only on the front right. of house. Like it wasn't like that. It's just but those three rules young white said friends. Black only. Those rules <laughs> said black if, only. If you bring your white <laughs> friends over, just pop in the group chat and be like, hey, I got some flower colored folks coming over here. <laughs> it's gonna be about three of them. They and they, they can- real chill. And they know that they can't come in the common room. In the article that they weren't allowed. In the common room. In the common spaces. So I guess mm, maybe that means like you can bring them to your room. They can oh, they can't out sit out in the lobby. They, yeah, they can't be out here <laughs> in the, in the game room in our theater <laughs> and stuff. They can't be putting mm. little jokers and big jokers on their foreheads playing spades up in the game room. Sure can't. Sure can't. Mm-mm. and it's you like people be. of color not blacks not just blacks you cannot still, sit in the common area you need wrong. to go to the you need to go on back to it's, the outhouse wrong i don't think that it's unlawful though because yeah, they didn't they didn't racially discriminate in housing because mm-hmm. they say that it's the white people that be staying there but still they even probably get on their house check they they got two separate house checks. One it includes <laughs> the people who uh you know got into their housing, and then the other one is like Cheyenne <laughs> is out there walking around, and she got her friends in our kitchen again. Look at that dog carrying the refrigerator. So you know, it's for things like that that you just got to be like, mm, we got to keep these spaces separate. <laughs> I'm just I mean, kidding. I'm you just know. kidding. Yeah, I can't toast them because it is ratchet. But I also would probably stay there, and I would. <laughs> be I would probably stay there chat. too. <laughs> oh, okay. But oh, I'll okay. stay there and be like, "This is wrong as hell." Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why you sitting here telling? Uh, <laughs> Why you telling homeboy? I uh-uh, move that sign up to the right a little bit. Move that sign up to the left a little bit. Trying to hang a blacks only sign in the common area <laughs> for colors only. <laughs> oh, so I this is a trail. <laughs> I'm I'm gonna I'm toasting them with a side eye because like it's it's real petty, but I get it. Like I get it, and I. I don't think there's one right answer to creating a safe space mm-hmm. for people of color. So I'm not going to knock them for being so overt with it. I'm going to toast them with a side eye. <laughs> and I'm going to give them some nails to hang up the colors only sign in the common area. <laughs> <laughs> nah. I'm just playing, y'all. I'm just playing. Don't cancel me. I'm just playing. <laughs> don't call my job. Holy cow. <laughs> right we are gonna be docs from me <laughs> okay i'm telling you <laughs> look i'm in hr i'm gonna have to go to my own office okay <laughs> and write your own self up mm-hmm. <laughs> sign it <laughs> oh my gosh so we have reached the sidebar segment of the show i like to refer to this part of the show as the meat and potatoes because we are going to provide you with words of wisdom and inspiration to live by. Celebrity news, gossip, and pop culture is fun to discuss and all, and it can be quite entertaining and intriguing, but we all need positive words and encouragement to help us get through this thing we call life. 
Today's sidebar segment is inspired by none other than the GOAT, the G-O-A-T, greatest of all time, and twirl queen herself, Serena Williams. So after a record-breaking career and holding the most combined major titles in singles, doubles, and mixed doubles among her competitors, Serena Williams has decided to call it quits. And the decision definitely did not come lightly. In her Vogue article, she says, I've been reluctant to admit that I have to move on from playing tennis. It's like a taboo topic. It comes up and I start to cry. I think that the only person I've really gone there with is my therapist. So ladies, let's talk about Serena Williams and making hard decisions that are good for us. The first question is, what is your favorite Serena Williams moment and how has she inspired you? Oh my God, my favorite Serena moment. It's hard to just name one, but I will never forget when I was little watching her. Well, maybe I wasn't little, maybe like in like high school, but when I was watching her she started crip walking it was at a u.s open and she just legit started crip walking across the court and it brought me so much joy because that was the blackest thing i've ever seen in tennis my whole life and it just it brought me so much joy <laughs> and then i think my other favorite moment was she was doing a press conference after a match that she didn't win but you know after wimbledon like you have to sit down and talk to the press like it's part of the protocol after a match and one of like reporters was asking her why she wasn't smiling and she was like I, I really just don't want to be here answering these questions <laughs> I'm ready for this to be over so I can leave <laughs> truth be told <laughs> and she said what every black woman has been mm -hmm. thinking since the beginning of time that was it that was it for me <laughs> that's an awesome moment yes yes for me, it is a lot of different moments where I have seen Serena shine. I remember growing up and just seeing Serena and Venus and people being so ugly to them just because of, I guess it was just seeing Black women being in a position of authority in a sport and wanting to find, you know, that one bad thing or that one thing that they could say to tear them down to feel better about themselves. But one thing about it is Serena <laughs> has played 27 years of professional tennis and she's been in the game even longer than that. So I think that that's what really inspires me is that she found something that she may not have originally been passionate about. <laughs> But she found something that she developed a passion for and she owned it. Like she has been on this court breaking barriers for women and especially women of color in sports for almost as long as I've been alive. I just turned 31, like for almost as long as I've been alive. And I was going back, just watching some of her greatest moments. And just seeing her out there dominating the field and just breaking records and making new records that people didn't even know was possible. And so I just, 
she inspires me every day and even with what she's doing right now deciding that she is leaving tennis I think one of the funny little things that I saw was saying that her daughter Olympia loves everything about her mom except for tennis and I really think like she said that that has a big impact on her being like yeah this is time for me to move on because although she's accomplishing world records she wants to be there for the next journeys through life with her daughter that doesn't mean that she's gonna give up on tennis because I just started following her TikTok and she's teaching her daughter the tips and tricks now and it may not be something that she has Olympia go down that road as a tennis player but even even yet and still being able to share that love of a sport of something that you've journeyed through with your child is all inspiring so thank you Serena for what you've done and for what you're going to continue to do can I just also say that she is body goals yes she is on that video and fitness goals listen every time I see her on that court (laughs) I do like 10 sit-ups because like there is no reason why she is that (laughs) fit and I am not it just she's body goals I'll I'll just leave it at that and have y'all seen that video where she did the transition between the different Nike pro outfits and she got up on that pole like Mm -hmm. honey yes drop the link up yes drop Mm -hmm. the link up down here because I might not look like you look. Matter of fact, I know I ain't going to look how you look, but I still want those fits, okay? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah, so my favorite Serena moment was watching her after she won one of the Opens. I can't really recall which one it was, but after she won, she screamed at the top of her lungs, this high-pitched girly scream. It wasn't like, oh, like a manly scream, but it was just so feminine, and she jumped up and down like she was a kid who got something they wanted at Christmas. And then after she got it, she twirled. That was just her signature walk off the court. She twirled around. And I was just like, yes, that is it. To see, like you said, a Caroline, a Black woman just be able to be so happy at achieving something. That was goals for me as well. And another moment for me was when she embraced and covered Naomi Osaka after she beat her, after Naomi beat her. And I think one of the U.S. Opens, I think it was. And, you know, this is when the crowd was actually booing Naomi because they felt that Serena was shorthanded by the referees that match. So they booed Naomi for winning. So Naomi just kind of felt like her moment was taken from her because of that. And Serena just hugged her and embraced her and covered her and stood by her as she made her speech. And I just thought that that was true sportsmanship. I saw it as a Black woman covering and protecting another Black woman who's who's coming up under her. And that really meant a lot for me to see Serena do that. And Serena has inspired me to persevere because her career has all been been about perseverance. To be uniquely yourself because that was Serena. She designed her own outfits. She wore her outfits on the court no matter what people had to say about her. She was just uniquely herself. And so she inspires me to be that every day. Um, And to never be silent when you feel like somebody made a bad call towards you. Because we all remember when Serena got the tennis racket and went up to the ref and told the ref, you make another bad call, I'm going to stick this up, yo, you know what. 
she stood her ground that night. And to me, that was boss moves. I don't care. <laughs> but it was just all about standing up for yourself and, and inspires me to stand up no matter what and how I think people might see me if I do that. And I mean, I could be wrong. Somebody today told me that I was wrong, but something tells me that she's really not finished. Maybe it's, I don't feel like she should be finished right now. I don't want her to be finished, but something tells me she's going to come out of retirement from one last run. I think I she know. is done, done. She is sick of us. <laughs> Serena is sick of us working her nerve about this tennis. I think if she does come back, it might be like a doubles game with her sister. I think they were playing Tuesday night this week, actually. But I, I think she's done. Selfishly, I'm hoping that with all the energy and like the way that she's playing right now in the U.S. Open, she looks the best that she's looked since she had the baby, in my opinion. So maybe she's getting like a new refreshed energy and decides to stick it out a couple more years. Like selfishly, I want more. more. One more tennis season. I'm not sure what months tennis are, you know, but just one more month of tennis season. Or selfishly. Yes. I and want she, more. She's going to do it and y'all going to be asking for more. Okay. I know we said one more, but here we come with close the curtain prayer line and we want to pray yes. for one more. <laughs> exactly. That's why she's done with us now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the next question is Serena was faced with making a decision that was tough, but she knew it would benefit her and her family. What advice would you give someone who may be faced with making a tough decision? You want the advice I should give or just tell y'all like what I do? The floor is yours. Because I'm a procrastinate until I have to make the decision and typically just go with what feels right (laughs) at the very last minute. I don't do well with making big decisions. In theory, you would weigh all of your options and think about what you really want. And if the thing you're making a decision about gets you closer to your goal or closer to the thing that you're trying to achieve, then that should guide your decision. For example, Serena wants to spend more time with her family, spend a lot more time loving on her daughter and being a great mom. She also said that she wants to put a lot more time and energy into her venture capitalist company as well. So when it comes to making a decision about tennis, continuing to play in these competitions does not get her closer to spending time with Alexis, investing more into her company, right? Investing more into small Black businesses. And so while the decision will feel hard internally, right, to walk away from something that you've known all your life or something you've done all your life, something you love, at the end of the day, just when you're looking at things just very black and white, very plain, will it get you closer to your goals? Will it get you closer to where you want to be? Will it get closer to the life that you're manifesting? Because if it does, then you know the decision you need to make. And if it doesn't get you closer to those goals or those things that you were, you know, striving toward, then you you shouldn't do it. Because if you do, you're going to end up on close the curtain, getting a cork from us. So, I mean, that's how I should approach <laughs> big decisions. Do I follow my own advice? No, but that doesn't mean y'all should. So if you're listening, follow my advice because it's good advice. I just don't do it myself. <laughs> 
agree wholeheartedly with Caroline. I just want to caution you that don't run away from whatever tough decision you have to make because I mean closing your eyes on it and going to sleep or doing something that's gonna numb you to that decision that's facing you down is just gonna bring you that much closer without any resolution so don't run away from it face it head on and like she said lay out your options decide what you need to do to achieve the desired or end result and then go about doing it don't stop keep progressing even if it's one minute at a time one hour at a time one day at a time don't try to do it in big leaps because even one step forward is still progress it's still meaningful it still is valid like you're getting to where you need to be and then we always don't have the right decision find someone who had that kind of decision or one similar to it and then ask them what did they do maybe they have some resources some help that you don't know about and that may in the long run help you don't always have to hit your head before you come to this tough decision like sometimes you can take someone else's lived experience and not have to go through it yourself so ultimately do what's best for you but in this day and age it's someone who faced that same thing and you never know they may be just one phone call away waiting for you to pick up their phone and say hey I got this going on and I want to know have you experienced this don't be scared to ask for help that's really good advice Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. yes definitely I would like to say just first of all be sure that when you make the decision or when you get ready to make the decision if you have a higher power if you believe in someone higher than you you first consult with your higher power if you believe in and have a connection with God and you believe in prayer pray about it and then definitely write down the pros and cons of both sides to the decision this is what helps me make a lot of my decisions like i in my journal, I'll write down what the major decision is. And then I'll put on one side, all the pros and then all the cons. And I just review them all and how each pro and each con would affect me. Then you want to get advice. Like Nalita said, you want to get advice from people who love you and who genuinely have your best interests at heart and those who care for you and wouldn't really steer you in the wrong direction. And be sure when you are making a decision that you put yourself and the people and the things that are important to you first. Don't make the decision based on what people on your job would say or how it's going to affect your job or how it will affect your church or how it will affect other people who depend on you. You make yourself a priority and you make the people who are important to you, who that decision will affect a priority as well. And those are my tips. Okay, so I think we all have had some great tips about making and facing hard decisions. Our hat definitely goes off to Serena Williams. We are so proud of her. And I'm just really looking forward to all the great things that she will do in the future because I'm sure she'll have something else going. Maybe she'll spend more time on her fashion. Maybe she'll have more charities out there or tennis camps. So I'm just excited to see 
um, what's in store for her. And I follow her on Instagram, so I'll continue to follow her. And I hope and pray that she'll come out of retirement for at least one season. Okay. <laughs> for us Lord, to see her go Lord. through it all over again. Come Please on. hear come on, our folks. selfish cry. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> but we would like to thank you for listening all the way to the very end. We thank you for supporting Close the Curtain to Nalita and Caroline. It's always a pleasure, y'all. And same time, same place next week. Peace. Thank you for joining us this week on Close the Curtain Podcast with Nalita, Shalana, and Caroline. I hope you enjoyed this brief respite and that something we said inspired or motivated you to close the curtain on whatever is not for the season in which you find yourself in. If you're enjoying Close the Curtain, please rate the show, share it, These things allow more women access to the same wonderful content that you enjoy. If you have questions, comments, or you want to suggest show topics, leave a message for us on our email, hello at closethecurtain.com. Again, that's hello at closethecurtain.com. You can also stay connected with Close the Curtain Podcast on Instagram at our handle, at Close the Curtain Podcast. Our website is www.closethecurtain.com and our podcast can be enjoyed on the following platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor with more to come. This has been an awesome show. Don't forget to meet us next time at the intersection of pop culture and wellness. Bye.